I am hungry for the president that's going to stand up and say, we need to make compromises and sacrifices as a country, that we need to do our work, that we need to contribute in certain ways. We each have our own gift to give, and yours is unique. Welcome to the Calvin Corelli Show. I'm really excited to have you. I'm here with my good friend, Bill Barron. Uh, Bill and I, we've known each other for six years now. I was part of your Conscious Business Network. And uh, we got talking about politics recently. And so we're both um, born on different continents from, from this one, from America. So we're both in America right now. I'm in New York. Where, where is it you are, actually? You're I'm in, in Oakland. Oakland. You're in Oakland. Oakland yeah, California. I know that. Um, and uh, you were born in the Soviet Union. I was, yes. And I was born in Denmark, which is, you know, the socialist ha- haven that, that <laughs> you know, Bernie and his friends want for America. And yeah, what was, that, what was that like, man? What was that grow- like growing up in the Soviet Union? And you mentioned to me when we talked that you started to see things happening here in America that reminded you of growing up in the Soviet Union. Yeah, so I was, uh, you know, I was 12 when we left. And so it was, you know, it was during these formative years of my life. And, you know, the thing that I really remember is how my parents hid things from me Mm -hmm. so that me being young, that I wouldn't say something that is being repeated in the household and get us into trouble. Ah, right. So, so ba- I mean, are you saying that they would have essentially kids spying on their parents and rat, like, or they would use kids as a way to suss out if parents were saying something bad or something It's, it's a there? little bit less than that, but you know, okay. kids just talk, right? Yeah, like yeah, these, right. You know, it's like you're, everybody's kids talk about what's happening sure. in the household. They don't know how to edit themselves. Right. And because I was a kid and I didn't know how to edit myself, my parents had to edit themselves from me. Right. Right. But, but so, what I'm saying is like, but it was like if you were to say something like to other friends as a kid or in school or something, someone would pick up on that and yes. or were likely to and report you to the authorities or something. Is that uh it 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 wasn't as bad as it was in China because I've been doing a lot of research on China mm-hmm. what was happening in the Cultural Revolution and before the Cultural Revolution in the 50s, how uh, there was a tremendous lack of trust of humanity overall over anything. Because if, if there's a reporting culture, then it's, it becomes really bad because you can't trust anybody. You can't trust your kids. You can't trust your parents. You can't trust your neighbors. You can't trust anybody. Right. I don't remember, and also I was very young, so I don't remember things being that bad. Mm-hmm. But I could feel the tension in my family mm-hmm. over like, things that may be said in the, inside the family circle not being repeated. And even with friends, like you never really knew where people stand or where people stood because everybody had an outward facing persona and opinions and a way of being where you had no idea. Like, is this person think the way that I do or does this person think completely different? But we don't know because we're all putting on, you know, a particular face when we're out Mm -hmm. in public. And I'm I'm noticing the same things are happening here. Mm -hmm. And because with with friends, I'm starting to just talk about what I believe and what I think, because I've been somewhat apolitical for a long time, right? So I'm starting to notice, and then I I can see how, oh, that's what he thinks. I'm now much more open to be able to share what I really think. Mm-hmm. And then I realized, oh, my God, what you've been saying and what you're posting on social media, I diametrically opposed. Wow. So you've seen people do that? Like they will post something? I've seen, I've seen it. 
like BLM, black squares, like that kind of stuff on, on yes. social media. And then they'll yes. have completely opposite opinions in private. E- either opposite or much more nuanced and much more thoughtful and much more like really looking at both sides. And it's like, but you just posted this on social media. <laughs> yeah. Or I've heard you say this in a much bigger group, which is very different from what you're saying in private. And so such an interesting culture, right? Like the, that, and it seems to go in like in one direction, right? Like, um, cause you can, you can obviously, I mean, I do, I saw there's a company called rev.com that does, you know, audio transcription and things like that. Right. And they posted this whole like anti-racism and all that, like they bought into the whole, you know, oppression story, victim story, hook, line and sinker. And so I am like, um, can I find like a racism free like, transcription service? That would be great. But at the same time, we've gotten used to, all right, that's just people do that and that's okay. But, but the flip side of that, if you're you know, a Trump supporter or something that, that that's something that tends to put, push a lot of people off. Right. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's hard for me to really know. Right. Mm-hmm. I live in the Bay area. Mm-hmm. When you look at the voting statistics in the Bay area, it's very much, you know, 80, 90%, depending on neighborhood, depending on city, uh, left-leaning, mm-hmm. right? So here- I live in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. <laughs> exactly, right? So <laughs> you and I don't know, because if, you walk, if I walk around my neighborhood, there's mm-hmm. Biden and Harris signs, and there's no Trump signs. And yet I know people around in the neighborhood that voted for Trump that, uh, and this time around, a few of them are still gonna vote for Trump and a few of them are not, right? But uh, it it really reminds me of of this uh, statistic that I saw around uh, hybrid cars. So uh, when you really looked at uh, the hybrid car sales, and there's two different hybrid cars that, uh, th- that are part of the statistic. One is the Prius. And the other one is the Honda hybrids, right? So the Prius puts in your face the, uh, because of the design, because it's a completely different car. It, 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 it's a statement of I am trying to support the environment. Whereas the Honda is not because it look it has the same exact body like from the outside unless you saw the little sign at the on the back of the car that says hybrid you would not even know that it's a hybrid car so when you're looking at the stats every liberal area the toyota prius which was a stamp i am you know i believe in this stance Without sell, I mean, just it was astronomical figures. Right. But in every conservative area, it would be the Honda hybrid cars that outsold. There, in order for you to be more accepted in that society, you needed to downplay the hybrid aspect. I was, I mean, I hear, I hear you. Uh, and I think there's probably definitely something to that. It's, it might also, I mean, I personally hate the Prius with a, with a vengeance and not because it's a hybrid, just because I think it's a crappy like <laughs> car and it drives like shit. Right. So you know, it could also be just that like people put up with that because it's a statement. And when they don't have this virtue signal anymore, they're like, okay, let's actually get a nice car. Right. When they enjoy driving, it could be. A, it could be. Could be. I, I, I went to, I, I, I jumped to a different conclusion. Yeah. Yeah. But I, but I do know, like, if I take that same example here, nobody that, that is going to vote for Trump in my area is going to put a sign. Right. No. I had I had a wake up call lat four years ago around the election because I don't get to vote here. I don't I'm on a visa. I don't get to vote, but I do get to pay taxes. And so we went upstate for around the election. Exactly. I'm very I'm very grateful. Thank you, guys. So so we went upstate just on a road trip and I was shocked because as soon as we got out of the city, it was Trump signs everywhere. Right. 
counted at least 80 signs for Trump, uh, big and small. I think I saw one for Hillary the entire trip, right? As soon as you get out of the city. And that was, that was an eye-opening to me. So when he actually won, it was, it was still a shocker, uh, but it wasn't, you know, I was prepped a little bit you know, for Yeah, for I, I wasn't, you know. So uh, my whole sort of U.S. existence, I would say from college on, uh, and I, you know, and I went to Stanford, which is a very liberal place. And, uh, my dad is super conservative. And, uh, even now he says his biggest, one of his biggest regrets in life is that he let me go to Stanford. Mm, because and, you got, you were changed. Because, well, I, I was influenced and in in, in, away from his belief system. Mm-hmm. I mean, but that's, I mean, that's exactly what people are saying, right? That the universities are doing and even, even like K through 12 at this point. Yeah. And I, I wasn't necessarily aware of it, right? Cause you're in the, like a fish in the fish tank. You don't know. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so my whole sort of adult life, uh, I will, I would call myself, I was a headline liberal Democrat. Mm-hmm. According to my dad, I was a communist. <laughs> and uh and so and he knows what he's talking about <laughs> he does know what he's talking about and uh and so when uh covid hit and it just felt like our entire world and the structure of the world like the very fabric of our society was being tested and things stopped making sense like everything stopped making sense to me. Mm. I was like, all right, I have to get off this. I am not political. I will never talk about politics. I will never talk about religion. I won't talk about any of these things because that only creates division. I, I, I still don't talk about it much in public. And in fact, this might be the first time I'm actually doing it in a, in a public format. But what it made me question everything. And so when I would read something, I would want to know on on a particular subject, everything around it from every angle. Hmm. What does the far left think? What does the far right think? What do people in the middle think? What what does independent media think? And what does mainstream media think? Mm -hmm. And, And then, it, it became clear that headline blank, headline liberal or headline conservative or headline Republican, that is the problem with our society because we've forgotten to actually dive deep on a particular matter and really get to understand it, right? Like the, the idea that we ought to be Renaissance people or Renaissance men and women at some level where we actually spend a certain amount of time going deep onto a subject has disappeared. We go maybe pretty wide on lots of things, but we as a society have forgotten to go deep mm-hmm. on subject matter. And I was like, All right, I'm gonna find out things in a deep way. I'm gonna learn it from every angle. I'm gonna not just read the article about the stats and the conclusions that they're making. I'm actually going to examine the stats and read the studies and go much deeper. And it became uh, pretty clear to me that the headlines and the narrative and the conclusions that are being made in the narrative are so opposite of the conclusions that I would be making reading the study. Right. I was like, okay. And and that's, that's such an important um, point like that that's exactly exactly what happened to me like two two and a half um, almost three years ago when I started diving into this so it is, is like realizing that the the media story and the media narrative is so different from what actually goes on and you kind of you do that once with something and then it's like you, you're red pilled right like as they say right now like you can't ever trust the media standard portrayal of anything ever again. And you've kind of, you've gotten that at a visceral level. You've seen it 
because you've done that deep dive, you've seen it play out and you've seen how they operate. And you're like, yeah, this is, yeah. I mean, this is manipulation, right? Is what it is. It's true. And, and here's, here's the interesting thing, like uh, red pill, mm-hmm. right? Blue pill. Uh, like what color pill can I take that is not divisive? Right. Right. And so here was red pill. Oh, divisive. Blue pill. Divisive. Then I was like, well, why don't I take the white pill? Oh, divisive. Black pill. Divisive. Green pill. <laughs> divisive. Like, I'm like, what other purple pill? I, have? I finally yeah. found a pill that is not going to be divisive. Right. Well, so red pill is divisive to you because red Republican? Is that what you're thinking? Yeah, or, yeah. Oh, got it. I never understood it like that. I just thought well, like no, the Matrix. It's, like, it's from the Matrix, just, but right, right. it can also yeah, yeah. have that other, uh, other it could, effect. Yeah. So I'm like, oh. And so for me, I am uh, painfully in the middle. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by painfully in the middle is how long can I be in the middle on one issue and really take in and observe and analyze what one side is saying without jumping to conclusions. And how can I do that for the other side and not jump to conclusions? And how long can I experience that tension of the two poles inside of me without going crazy? Because it's easy to go, oh, if I could just make up my mind about this, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> then, okay, check. I'm done. On to the next subject. It but sounds, Bill, it sounds like, so I'm trying to apply spirituality to p- politics, not trying, yes. I'm doing it. And it sounds yeah. like you're, you're is like Tantra, essentially. That's what it sounds like. <laughs> tantra and politics. I like it. It's kind of funny so, that you're saying, because in, in, in one of the techniques <laughs> for males in Tantric and Tantra practicing, Right. is to actually not ejaculate, right? Right, holding the tension for right, as exactly. long as possible, exactly. There's no yeah. payoff there. And the same yeah. thing, no, 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 I'm not going to make up my mind. I'm not going to make up my mind. Exactly. Because as soon but, as I know, I'm closed off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, I think this is so, so important. What we were talking about before is like people have opinions, right? Opinionitis, right? Which one of the things that I'd like, love to get to is not having any fucking opinions about anything, but just having, this is my current perception or like my best strategy, right? Like, what is it we have opinions about? Like, this is bad. This is good. Like, I don't know. Who cares? Like, what is it we want to achieve? And let's come up with like 10,000 different strategies to get there and figure out which is the best one. Like that, that's the conversation I want to have. And I, I don't care about people's opinions. Of course, we have to form our impression or perception. We have our current understanding of events, but that's different from, from opinion in my opinion. <laughs> damn it. Oh, damn it. <laughs> in my view. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, view and opinion, <laughs> yeah. it's kind of the same thing. But here, here's the way that, that I think about it, is that when we have a view and by the way, when I was talking about the holding of the tension, I'm talking about it from a very uh, idealistic sort of view, right? Like it's really hard not to form opinions. It is really hard not to form views. And, but what I notice is that when I don't have a viewpoint yet, when I'm a blank slate, what I do is I ask questions. What I do is I seek to understand how other people think. Mm -hmm. But when I have a view and when I have an opinion, I subtly shift to consciously or unconsciously trying to influence others Mm -hmm. to come to my island, Mm -hmm. right? To be of the same mind because we are, communal beings we've been designed from moment one like we are stronger together than alone right so whenever it is that we're meeting with anybody we want them to be part of our community right and we also like to have some that are outside right like it's you know (laughs) no we don't want you (laughs) 
<laughs> right. No, I mean, us versus them, right? Like it's, it's true, always but, work. But, it's always going to work. But, but think about it. Back in the day in the village, that wasn't such a thing. Yes, the other village. Exactly. Those were right. the enemies, right? right? But there were lots of people of all kinds of opinions mm-hmm. living in the community. Was, right. And because people didn't move around, mm-hmm. we figured out how to live together. Right. We figured out how to deal and love that, you know, crazy uncle that talks about his interesting theories about the world. Mm-hmm. Right? We don't have that anymore. Mm-hmm. Like we expect things to be like we expect everybody to be in our own bubble. When it's a be bubble. In the same bubble we, yeah. The, the, well, yeah. I, but I mean, do I mean you don't expect other people to be in your bubble? Um, that's not what it, I'm hearing. It takes fucking work not to, <laughs> right? right? Like it, but like naturally, I do. Like I give yeah. an example. I had a, I uh, came back to working out with my trainer today. It was my first session back, and. Uh, and she went and took her whole family to get uh, the flu vaccine uh, yesterday. Mm. And I couldn't help. I could not help. But like, oh, like, cause in my mind, based on the research that I've made, it's like, oh my God, you might have cut your life and the life of your kids by three to five years. So you care. I care. Right. But it's like, if I was completely neutral, I would have asked, Hey, what was the reason why you decided to do this? What do you think the vaccine is going to do for you? Uh, How is this going to make your life better? Uh, do you know what the ingredients of the vaccine are, right? That, that wasn't what I did. Mm-hmm. It was like, I was horrified. I was concerned <laughs> for her and her family. But that, I mean, I think a big part of, of this is, is, you know, what happens when information is not evenly distributed, right? Which it isn't um, on purpose. I just had a conversation with someone earlier today about the, 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 the presidential debate not the vp debate but the but the main one the first one here and he was like um yeah biden was telling the story of his son and and his trouble with addiction and then trump went in there and there was no compassion or empathy with trump he was just talking about some millions or billions of money i'm like um yeah because like hunter biden and china and ukraine and that stuff and he hadn't heard any of that stuff right so in his mind it was just trump being rude with Biden talking about his son that had trouble. And I'm like, I'm not saying Trump is not, is not rude, <laughs> you know, but, but there was a reason why he went there. And that reason was completely lost on this, on this guy. Right. So that, that like, um, you know, information inequality, if you will, but I mean, that's what I hear you talk about. You have information that makes this other, per- your trainer's actions be like oh, horrifying to you. Right. Um, and obviously your trainer doesn't have that information. And so it's not a big deal or he or she doesn't see that, but you sharing that information with them could be really helpful. What I found, and it's really interesting. So I had, uh, so I've, I've tried this. So I had a, I created a whole big folder on Google drive of everything that I have, uh, assembled around uh, all kinds of vaccines. Mm -hmm. Uh, Stats, uh, stories, like all of this. And a friend of mine is, um, you know, her daughter was just recently born. And it's really difficult to know. It's like, uh, so I shared this with her. What do I do? Do I follow up? Mm -hmm. Do I... Like, it, there, it's, it's, it's hard. I mean, 
I think what we can do is we can offer, right? And we can, we can present that information so at least they know it exists. And I mean, we all know this, right? Someone says like, whoa, and then we're like, oh, this is too much. I can't deal with that right now. You know, whatever. They get all, all kinds of reasons. And you, you hear a bunch of stuff and what can you trust and what can't you? So I completely get that. At the same time, just being of service and being like, hey, there is this other perspective. If you care, you can look into it and I can help you with that, right? Like that's, it has to be on them to make that choice that they, that they want to know, that they care. And, and I also understand if you've just vaccinated your entire family and it might cost them like years of your life, you might not actually want to know that, right? Like yeah. that's, that could hurt your fragile little ego there, which we all have. <laughs> yeah, so it was kind of funny. I was talking to my wife and she said, I just want to remind you, this was that in April, when she, she said, in April, when I asked you, are you going to take the coronavirus vaccine? You said you'll be first in line. Mm-hmm. And I said, yeah, I remember that. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and she told and me, do, more. Research, do your mm-hmm. research. And I said, all right, I'm going to. I'm going to make this my pet project. I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to get to the bottom of this. Because mm-hmm. I want to know for my family mm-hmm. and my extended family what we ought to do and what actions I need to take. Right. And so that's that that went in my journey to try to figure out everything that I needed to know about vaccines and and medicine and the history of the uh, medical profession in the U.S. and the history of medical schools and the education around it and how studies get funded, like all of it. Right. And uh, and so, Bill, you're an anti-vaxxer now. I, so I can just safely label you anti-vaxxer and then I, you're a conspiracist and I don't need to take you seriously beyond this, right? That's where we're at. Exactly, exactly. And, uh, and what I prefer is that we don't uh, throw out the baby with the bathwater. I hate that saying, so I'm going to re- <laughs> rewind that, right? I don't want to throw out the vaccine with the additives, Mm. There's a difference between the vaccine and the, and, and the property that actually creates antibodies mm-hmm. and everything else that is added in the vaccine, right? So there's a way to be able to make vaccines and test them that could be incredible for our society. Right. But we don't have time for new ones, man. It's just anti-vaxxer conspiracy theories. <laughs> no, I mean, but I mean, I'm joking, obviously, right? But uh, but that's I think that's that's one of the things that I've seen too is like this like poo-pooing of or like ridiculing of like if you if you like like deep state or you know um, uh, you know everything gets labeled like conspiracy theory. Like <laughs> it's like well, there are conspiracies in the world, right? Like those, those, that's a thing. We just trick us to figure out which are, which are real and which are made up. Um, and we sh- kind of should be on the same side in figuring that out. And also like when you think about um, industries that are incentivized to move slowly. Mm-hmm. Look, look, I'll give you an example. Um, and the current stats are sort of reverberating in my mind, like that right now in the U S and I'll talk about the current stats right now in the U S, uh, uh, babies die six times more frequently before their first birthday in the U S than in Iceland. I mean, these are pretty staggering statistics, Mm -hmm. right? And so it is up to us as a society, and it's up to the medical profession, or it's supposed to be up to the medical profession. We got got to get to the root cause of why this is happening. Right. Well, and it's even even before that, like, you know, the crisis, the fertility crisis, like we, we, people are having trouble making babies at a rate, like even getting pregnant, um, at a rate that we haven't seen, right? Like I have a, uh, my business partner's father, who's now passed away, wrote a book before he passed 
um, he's also Danish, talking about this and what he saw. And what he saw is like, people have this tension in their lower belly. He calls it exam stomach, where you're just always anxious. And that closes off the blood flow to your genitals and your, your, your stomach. Your, you know, it, so it hurts your digestion, hurts your immune system, and it hurts your, your reproductive ability. And so that's causing this whole fertility crisis, obviously not going to be good for the pregnancy either, probably, right? And then I don't know hey, what's Cal, happening in the first year. your mic got turned off. Nope, that sucks. Back. Okay. Are we back? It, we're back, but w- it, whatever you said <laughs> must have been the most profound thing. I know, because <laughs> <laughs> the CCP, you know, Zoom is like, uh, has ties to the CCP. They cut us off. <laughs> what did you, what got cut off here? Um, I, I'm not, I'm not sure where it got cut oh, where, off. Where, no, where, how, how much did we miss? Anyway, so a couple of sentences. Oh, okay. Yeah. So like, who's just saying about how we were, we have this tension in the lower belly and that causes yeah. us to not be able to, to, to um, get pregnant, which is a huge problem for the survival of the human species, right? If we can't, if we can't make babies and then they die once you, once you have them apparently. Yeah. And so here's the interesting thing. It's like, so I want to, I want to speak about sort of language. And so here's the theory that there's this belly tension and there's a potential for whatever this belly tension to cut off the blood flow, or maybe it does. And that has the potential of um, limiting the possibility of pregnancy. So that's one of the theories. Right. But oftentimes when I hear like the person who comes up with a theory that becomes like, this is it. Like this is the... no, it's one of 25 things sure. that we've got to study as a society. Right. Like I was listening to a podcast today around and the, uh, and it was this uh, uh, doctor, Zach Bush, who I happen to really love. And he was talking about glyphosate and Roundup and Monsanto and, uh, Bayer, who just bought Monsanto for $65 billion, and they got it cheap because of how much uh, like lawsuits were happening around Roundup and everything else, right? Mm. So they got it for pennies on the dollar. But uh, he was just saying that a lot of these uh, pesticides, yeah, then really negative implications of it will be three generations deep. Right. We might find three generations deep where all of a sudden we are not able to reproduce and now we are living in the hands made tale. Right. I haven't seen that, but I keep hearing on it. Yeah, no, exactly. And, and, but, but that leads me back to what you were saying with, with vaccines, right? Like, cause that too is, you know, some of those things may only show up like three generations later, right? Like we're making these massive experiments with the, with the, our ecology and our, our, you know, both humans and environment and all that there that are like, um, you know, are we, are we sure what we're doing here? Exactly. But we're, we're not allowed to speculate, right? Mm-hmm. But speculation creates conversation and conversation creates research and research creates hypothesis and hypothesis creates experiments that gives us some sort of data, right? Mm-hmm. Like all I know is one out of 37 fucking boys born in the U.S. are born on the autistic spectrum. That's crazy. Come on. Mm-hmm. One out of 144 girls mm-hmm. are born on the autistic spectrum. Are, is business as usual? No, it's not. We have to figure out and get to the bottom of this. And this whole food, drug, industrial complex and the ownership of that, of of the media around that complex. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, the, the vast majority of ads on TV are drugs. Pharmaceuticals, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, they've bought the media, obviously. Yeah. Are they owned by the same corporations, literally? Uh, they're, they're, they're not owned uh, by the same corporation, but it's the same system. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And because... And, and, 
that's what like one of the things that I keep talking about is like, you know, we all, we want, as people, we want people to be healthy, right? But the, like the politicians and the, the media companies and the, the, like the politicians who are bought by these, you know, lobbyists and corporate interests, you know, um, and the, the industry want us to be unhealthy so that they can sell us drugs, right? That's how they make money. You know, it's hard for me uh, as a caring human being to go to a place where somebody is choosing consciously as their first order of decision making to make us and keep us alive but sick, right? I, it's, I know that at some point I'm going to start making that conclusion because I'm going to have more and more data. But right now... <laughs> I still have a difficult time going that we all are trying to do the right thing. But like, you know how, No, I, 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 I'm with you and I, I, I agree. I'm just using that as a shortcut to say that's how the system is, is set up. And I think that we're really good at rationalizing. And like, I mean, a, a, a jihadist suicide bomber thinks that he's doing a good thing, right? He thinks that he's doing, you know, God's work and he's helping make the world a better place and he's going to be rewarded in heaven for it after, right? Um, I disagree from my perspective, but I, under, I mean, that's, so I, I don't, I, I'm with you. I'm not sure they're thinking, ha let's make people more sick. Although I'm sure some people are right. And those people are, in, are like, you have to be in, a, in deep pain yourself to, to think that way. Right. To think that somehow that's going to like, yes, then you make more money. And so what, right. We all fucking know at some level that money doesn't, make us happy we know that right but still we keep falling for it you know how in a in a, in a tesla or or uh, any sort of self-driving uh vehicle an algorithm needs to be created where the vehicle makes mm -hmm. decisions on what to do right do if, if i come to a place where i'm going to ram into the car in front or, or there's a, a a person walking on the right and Am I going to create an, uh, a computer program that says, kill the person, but save your, your own life, right? And so we have to decide what's most important, what's most ethical, right? And I think for corporations, what's the decisions that they're making are money decisions, right? Like, is this going to make more money? And that's a higher order decision than what is happening downstream for humanity. Mm -hmm. uh, but like, I, I'm just coming up. I, like, what would it be if every corporation that makes negative decisions for humanity is actually taxed on the negative implications of their decisions on humanity? Yeah. <laughs> I I think it would be impossible to like unworkable, I right? <laughs> like I know. And and fraud with fraud. Yeah. But yeah, no, I hear you. I hear you. So my approach is, you know, grow more aware people, right? And then that's kind of gonna you know, take care of it over over time because like people are not gonna put up with it, right? Like you have to it not, it's not just the person in charge, it's the whole organization that has to keep marching along those same lines. I, I remember a quote from John Mackey, the, the founder, CEO of Whole Foods, who was like, you know, corporations shouldn't exist just to make money, just like, you know, human beings don't exist just so we can eat. We like, they should exist to, to you know, fulfill some kind of mission or purpose and the profits are just a, you know, a necessary uh, piece to that, right? They need to be profitable, of course. Uh, but that, that's not why we do things. And I, I think at a deep level as humans, it's not why we do things. It's just, we've kind of been trained that, oh, but that's what you do, even though like, you know, then you, you know, then I see that over and over again with people, especially in the you know tech world and people that have these exits. I got an email years ago from someone named Eric, who was like, I've been doing this startup and we just got an acquisition offer for $300 million. And we haven't taken it, but I've never been more depressed in my life. Because right? this was what he'd been working towards his entire adult life, his entire life, right? That exit, the money, 
And now that it was within reach, he realized it doesn't change a damn thing. I'm still as unhappy and miserable as I always was. Now, the only difference is I don't have a strategy for how to be happy, right? The strategy I thought I had isn't working. And I think there's that point that we need to reach maybe as a society. Yeah, and uh, I'm just going to be blunt. Money is a scorecard of business. Mm-hmm. Sure. Lots of people are talking about other aspects of it in business and at impact funds, at, uh, at Whole Foods. Like there's lots of places that are talking about it, but mm-hmm. the reality of it is very different than the narrative. Mm-hmm. The scorecard, the number one thing on the report card is the no. dollar and cents. Yeah, it's measurable. It's easy to measure, right? Yeah. Yeah. Hey, I, there was something I want to ask you about because it's something that I've been trying to wrap my, or like figure out is, is you know, we, we connected over the conscious business network, right? So that's obviously a spiritual, um, conscious spiritual sort of a, approach to business. Um, and one of the things, so when I, when I look at left versus right in politics, it tends to be, that the left is, you know, these people need help. They're, you know, helpless, they're oppressed, they're victims somehow, they need help. And, and the right tends to be more um, self-reliance or, 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 you know, uh, responsibility and, and, and that type of thing, right? So as a spiritual teacher, the thing that's always fascinating me is that most quote-unquote spiritual teachers seem to be left-leaning, right? Whereas it kind of seems like it should be the opposite of anything, right? It was like, hey, as a spiritual teacher, I know that we all have the power within us to create, you know, our lives through our minds and through our, our, our actions and all that stuff. But what, what is your take on that? Um, here, I'll start with sort of what I'm noticing. I am noticing a pretty big movement of spiritual people to, to the right. Mm-hmm. Mm. For the first time, I've mm-hmm. started to see, like, wow, I'm just surprised. I'm surprised by your views. I didn't know uh, and that, that you'd be thinking this way. Um, and so that's the first thing. The second thing I want to say is that personal responsibility and personal agency uh, and and forgiveness from the perspective of letting go of the energy, like all of the spiritual practices. I'm astounded by how often we let those go when it comes to worldly things. You know, so I'll give you an example. I, um, when everything happened around uh, George Floyd, and, you know, and I, I, I closed my eyes, at, you know, it was probably a week after this. I closed my eyes and I could just feel the collective pain of our society. And, and I was like, oh, what the world really needs is love. That, that, that was my feeling, right? And so I posted something on Instagram with these little hearts and a hashtag love always wins. That's it. So I had a couple of people reach out to me, uh, like people I know. And we're like, love is not gonna make change right now. Like, I can't believe you're not using your platform to speak out against something. (laughs) I love that you need to use your platform, yeah. Yeah, And, and, and I was thinking, it's like, why would I abandon my values at a time like this? Yeah. At a time like this, I need to double down on my values, exactly. I believe. Right? And so I believe that love always wins. And that's, that's my platform. I'm not going to change it. And then I believe that I want to stand for something as opposed to rail against something. Mm 
And I'm going to continue to do that. But for a week, I didn't post anything because it wasn't safe. Like in my mind, and I know that that's not true. I'm in my home. Everything's cool. Like people love me. Like what people say to me on social media, I've gotten lots of shit on social media for the years for all kinds of things. So like, why would it matter? What it mattered is because there were people that I knew and loved who said those things. And I said, look, if you want to have a conversation about this and really understand me, I'm open. But those conversations never happened. Yeah. So yeah. it's- uh, I've seen that too. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I do think that whatever that, like if we do have spiritual leanings, and we have a spiritual philosophy, then we've got to bring that shit into our worldly life, into mm -hmm. politics, into everything else. And, you know, I'll just tell you, I was so excited, so excited that Marianne Williamson was running for president. Mm -hmm. So excited. She was speaking here in Oakland and I went to hear her speak and I left that experience going, uh-uh, something just feels completely off in my being. I have the same, yeah. And um, yeah, so it's like, we can't, it, it, and for me, like in retrospect, you can't abandon the course in miracles and run for office and politics when that has been your platform for all these years, your spiritual right. platform. Like, did you, did you even mean this thing? Right. Was it, was it real? Yeah. Well, I don't know if she, I, I don't know if I go into those conclusions, but I go to the conclusion of you've abandoned your spirituality to enter politics. Mm -hmm. And maybe to run for president, you have to do that. I don't know. Yeah. I don't think uh, you do. I don't think you do. So I think like, a, a, you know, if you look at someone like Nelson Mandela, right, he was someone that was able to bring together a country that had been deeply divided, lots of history, lots of pain, right? And I think he was able to do it because of his character, right? He's, he'd gone through that. He'd done the work. Obviously, um, our current president, love him or hate him, I wouldn't ascribe that to him. I don't see him having done his deep inner inner work, right? But there is that, um, I think that's what it takes. That's what we, that's the kind of leader that we need at some point. That's really gone the distance on this stuff um, to bring people together so that there can be, you know, firmness and heart and compassion and like speak to everybody. I think people are hungry for that. And I, I think we're, I think, People would be, I don't think, the, I think the media and the establishment would freak the, the, the fuck out. But I think the people are hungering for this kind of voice. Uh, people are hungry for that kind of voice and people are hungry for, I'm not going to say people, I'm hungry. I'll tell you what I'm hungry for. Mm -hmm. Hard for me to speculate what people are hungry for. I am hungry for the president that's going to stand up and say, we need to make compromises and sacrifices as a country that we need to do our work, that we need to contribute in certain ways that, that we're, like, I'll give you an example. What kind of hell would break loose if there was a draft in the US? I, 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 I can't even imagine, I mean, it's like states would secede from the union. Like, it would just be crazy, right? But in the past, people wanted to sacrifice themselves for an ideal, for their country. I'm not saying that we ought to go to war. I'm, I believe that um, like combat wars are a thing of the past. You know, we have different wars, like the war for the human mind happening right now. But... COVID. 
Um, we expect to be given something. Like, where did that come from? We're expecting or a stimulus package, extra unemployment, right. or unemployment. Like, no, there's an expectation. Yeah. I'm not saying that there isn't suffering in the world. I'm right. not saying that people don't need help. But there's an expectation that yeah. somebody or someone needs to give something to me. No, yeah. I, yeah, the, the, I agree. Like, so... I changed my name. I don't know if you know this, but I was, you know, my, my given name from my parents was Lars. Uh, it was my first name and pinned P I N D pin. Uh, and so I changed it. Um, you wanted to be, you, you wanted to be an Italian. I wanted to be an Italian American or something like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, no, my first, first I changed it to Calvin Conaway and then like my wife learned some more about some numerology stuff and then we changed it. So I've actually changed it three times legally, new passport, the whole thing. Right. Anyway, the reason I picked the name Calvin was that, that there was this quote from Calvin Coolidge that kept me going through all of my hard, my difficult years, which is nothing in the world can take the place of persistence. Talent will not. Nothing is more common than unsuccessful men with talent. Genius will not. Unrewarded genius is almost a proverb. Education will not. The world is full of educated derelicts. Persistence and determination alone are omnipotent. So I would read that quote over and over again. And I was like, is there light at the end of the tunnel? Am I ever going to make it? It's like, how long is this going to go on? Right. But I was like, if, if that if persistence and determination is good enough for the 30th president of the United States, then it's good enough for me. So that kept me going. Yeah. And, it, and so when I saw that name on a list, I was like, damn right, I'm going to be Calvin, right? Mm. And only later did I realize he was actually a really cool president. He was really freaking awesome. I didn't know anything. It was like this year, I started reading up on him. And one of the things he said is normal people can take care of themselves. Normal people can take care of themselves. We, they don't, we don't need the government to intervene and mess in all kinds of stuff. We can handle it. Like if you're disabled, sick, mentally something, like, yeah, we'll get you some help, right? Normal people don't need nothing. And they, they criticized him for being lazy because he didn't like pass laws and intervene and all kinds of stuff. But he was like, why would I? Like keep the government out of it if it was working, right? So yeah, um, yeah, that's kind of my philosophy. Like let, you know, like demanding that of people too. Like, dude, like it's, it's your job to figure. This is part of being a human. You have to figure out how you're going to make it, what you're going to make of yourself, right? Um, you know, uh, I, I, I've run large-scale online education programs and various masterminds and my own companies. And I know that the culture that you set up in those organizations is how people show up. Mm. Right. And so what culture are we setting up in the U.S. around being able to have that Calvin approach to things? And, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes I feel like, oh, I have such an unfair advantage. I have uh, just incredible privilege. And but my privilege and this is going to be controversial. My privilege is not that I'm white. My privilege is that I'm a fucking immigrant. And that I came here with nothing. And that I needed to make something of myself. And I needed to learn how to contribute to my family at 12. I went through all the shit that I had to go through living in the Ukraine, being a Jew. Where I stopped going to school without my parents knowing. And then when my mom found out, she's like, what, where the hell have you been? And I said, I'm not going to go to any school that every day my teachers are going to call me a dirty Jew. Mm. Right? I lived in a country where my, um, my cousin, who was a valedictorian of her school, couldn't go to college because she was a Jew. Like the, the, this is how I grew up, sort of knowing, not that I'm less than, but knowing that the system and the people in the system are against me. Mm -hmm. But 
what they what that bred in me was fuck you i'm going to be the best that i can be yeah what that bred in me when i came to the us it's like all right i don't know english great how can i be better at english than any of the other students right fuck yeah like how we yeah. don't have any money like our idea like my mom was a hairdresser my god i still get emotional when i think about this right she elizabeth new jersey went on elizabeth avenue which was like the longest street and she walked for miles and every time there was a salon that does hair she walked in no freaking english and somehow she was asking without a license can she work for free on fridays and saturdays and like i don't know 5 miles down the road somebody who kind of spoke polish my mom spoke russian so they had a little bit of some she got hired for free to work there for tips friday and saturday right mm-hmm. so that like how can you not respect somebody yeah. who's willing to do those kind of things yeah. but some i don't understand what it is that people that are often born in this country regardless of the the socioeconomic uh place where they were born there's an expectation that something is going to be handed to you mm-hmm. i don't know everything has to be earned totally right? and so yeah. when i came to this country i, I, I was, thought yeah no i was just so i just started watching uh, there's a documentary about clarence thomas the supreme court justice and he tells of of his upbringing you go watch it it's it's i think it's called created equal it's phenomenal um but like his growing up similar like he was he was black he was like being he was being uh singled out people were you know he's like i got to just like get score a perfect 100 to not give them any opening to to you know get to me right and that sort of um all right he didn't get anything given to him he earned everything now he's on the supreme court like that that attitude of like yeah do the work and when i run programs i'm the leader of those programs i get to set the culture mm-hmm. in the us the president gets to set that culture and we need a president at some point in our lifetimes that will do that Yeah. And one of the things that I find fascinating about this president right, is is I don't know if you know this but he was his church growing up was uh the positive thinking guy that was his pastor. I wow. forget what his name is now. But so that whole like I mean, he that's essentially what he's done his entire life is positive imagining things and then making it real all the way to becoming the freaking president even though nobody thought it was possible. Right? So if you looked at him through that lens, he could be a massive inspiration and role model to everybody. Like what this guy's been able to accomplish through pure force of, you know, willpower and imagination. It's quite incredible. It's not how he's yeah. being seen. Well, thank you for letting me know because that explains certain things that he says and how he says them. Mhm. Um yeah, but you know, I coming back to the the original question you know having been born in the soviet union my parents actually uh, that day when my parents found out why i wasn't going to school my dad made the decision that we were going to leave that country mm. because he's like there's no future for my boy here like mm-hmm. a country that will treat him the way that he's treated like i don't want to be a part of this so we came to the us and it was interestingly enough in the us i went to a jewish school and now i was uh the russian commie mm. so i was like oh my god so i was like okay i can't i cannot win yeah. uh, like i cannot be a part of the culture or the society that will accept me no no i have to create my own i've got mm-hmm. to create my own community around it i have to be able to uh surround myself with people that are going to be in in the same line of thinking as me around these things and so to me it's been a blessing but i wish that every human being would be able to take whatever adversity they've experienced in their life and use it as fuel rather than uh a a bag of sand weighing you down 
No, it's yeah. like rocket fuel on your back, mm-hmm. not a bag yeah. of sand. I mean, that's the key thing. That was a struggle for me for most of my life. I didn't, I took it as like, oh no, I'm wrong. I'm like, nobody likes me. I'm, it's terrible. I'm a victim. Oh, I, I lived that. That was me. Like, um, and then, yeah, I guess it didn't work out so well. So I changed it. <laughs> I was like, it's the, feels like shit. Um, but it, it, I, I milked that for quite a while. Um, I really did. And everything like, all of my dad's attempts to like get me to man up as a kid uh, or, or, you know, and, and um, show up stronger. I took as, you know, criticism and feeling wrong and hurt. Like I was really committed to that, that view wherever, wherever that came from. Right. Um, so did I come into this world with it? Like, and how do you, what do you, or was that something that came in early in life or, you know, where was I? I, th- I think I probably came into this world with it. Like I was just going to see things through that lens. Cause it was one of the things that I had to learn in this life. Right. But I think a lot of us, that's a lesson that we have to learn. And it's, we just, the sooner you learn it, the better. Anyway, we, so we are uh, out of time. We got to wrap up bill. This is like really phenomenal. Um, I love connecting with you and I love uh, hearing your story. Um, parting thoughts where do we do we want to send people to your instagram or your website or any of that stuff yeah uh my instagram would be great bill baron uh, at bill baron on instagram it's it's my preferred social right now because uh twitter is too insane and facebook is uh <laughs> close second um yeah and I, I i i'll just leave you with a wish for the world I think the major divide right now in our society is not between left and right. I think our major divide is between people that are willing to dig deep and, and formulate their own opinions and thoughts about things and people that are willing to trust the narrative of whatever side that they feel like they belong to. And I think the more that we're able to do that, the more that we will get to a place where personal agency and resilience uh, is going to be the way of the world. And we need more of that. The other way hasn't worked. Thank you for listening to the podcast episode. After 20 years as a serial entrepreneur, it's my passion to bring you ideas and insights from some of the best entrepreneurs, leaders, and thinkers in the world straight to your phone. We're going to be launching many, many more podcast episodes in the future. So please subscribe and leave a five-star review if you found any value at all from today's conversation. Your reviews and feedback mean the world to me.